Hey everybody, this is Kirsten. We wanted to put a little bit of a trigger warning at the top of the episode here. We do talk about suicide and issues regarding mental health, which we know can be distressing. And if you need resources or support, please go to 988lifeline.org if you're in the US or dial 988. We will also put some resources in the show notes. That said, we hope you guys enjoy the show. Either one of those things, that timeline's going to work better if I'm just slightly more energetic than what I'm at right now. I, I get that. I uh, I had initially, so I initially intended. So, like my roommate, so the guy who just moved in with me is also is also Catholic. Like we knew we, we've known each other for years, but um, uh, uh, we were going to go to nine nine o'clock mass, and then we decided to like shift to the right to go to eleven o'clock mass, which meant that like everything got pushed a couple hours oh, sure, to, yeah. to, to the right. Um, so just like, could we just shift this to like 1300 as opposed to like 1130? And then it was like, oh, can we do like the 1500s? Like, that's even better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because If you if you ever have a church thing, you know, I'm always like, it's fine. We can in the like, we obviously have to get our recording as obviously isn't a chore. But in the words of John Mulaney, canceling plans is like heroin. And it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. And it, it's very rare that I have like a, a church thing that like, absolutely knocks this off the table uh but yeah i my priority can be below god on our friendship scale it is okay (laughs) in other news hello and welcome back to another episode of dark waters a literary podcast focused on the on dark fiction those who love to read and write it i'm nate here as always with kirsten hello and this is our first book club episode for this season and uh i don't know if i think we announced this already but we're going to be covering for our book club episodes it'll be after the Lights Go Out by John Vercher and Everybody Knows by Jordan Harper. Uh, the first one, which is something that Kirsten turned me on to, is uh, After the Lights Go Out by John Vercher. So, Kirsten, if you have a little bit of a synopsis or a description of the plot. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just going to read the uh, the cover. So a harrowing and spellbinding story about family, the complications of mixed race relationships, misplaced loyalties, and the price athletes pay to entertain from the critically acclaimed author of Three Fifths. Xavier Scarecrow Wallace, a mixed race MMA fighter on the wrong side of 30, is facing the fight of his life. Xavier is losing his battle with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, or pugilistic dementia, a struggle he can no longer deny. Through the fog of memory loss, migraine, and paranoia, Xavier Xavier does his best to keep in shape while he waits for the call that will reinstate him after a year-long suspension. Until then, he watches his diet and trains every day at the Philadelphia gym owned by his cousin, cousin slash manager shot, a retired champion boxer to whom Xavier owes an unpayable debt. Xavier makes his ends meet by teaching youth classes at Shot's gym and by living rent-free in the house of his white father, whom Xavier has been forced to commit to a nursing home because of the progress of his end-stage Alzheimer's. Dementia has has revealed a shocking truth about Sam Wallace, and Xavier finally gains insight into why his Black mother left the family when Xavier was young. As Xavier battles his aging body and his failing brain, each day is filled with challenges and setbacks. Then Xavier is offered a chance at redemption, a last-minute comeback fight, and the largest MMA promotion. If he can get himself back in the game, he'll be able to clear his name and begin to pay off shot. But with his memory in shreds and his life crumbling around him, can Xavier hold on to the focus he needs to survive? After the Lights Go Out is a haunting, unflinching look at the aftermath of a career in MMA. As Xavier forgets everything around him, you'll want to remember every single word. And, and I, yeah, yeah having, <laughs> it lived up to that description. It really did. Like, I, I, I don't. So a lot of the fiction I read about fighters, it like it tends to like romanticize a lot of things, and it's it's it doesn't deal with like some of like the harder questions or just like the realities mm-hmm. of training. Um, but uh, I'm kind of curious as to like, was it like when you first read it? Because you read it first. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the thing that? made you say like we have to talk about this this is absolutely a fantastic book that we need to discuss i read this book really soon after it first came out it came out in june of last year and i read it in august of last year and if you look at it on its goodreads page you know there's don't know tough by eli craner which we've had some people talk about it has it dies with you with scott blackburn who we got to interview on the show um a lot of other like noir authors are kind of associated with that so i was not 
surprised when back in May, June of last year, John Bircher came up on my Twitter feed. And I think it might've even been Jordan Harper talking about him or something like people that we follow on Twitter in the noir crime mystery realm were like retweeting John Bircher's book announcement. And when I first saw the description, I thought this was not going to be a book that I liked. It was not that that made me want to read it. Like I was okay cool this is someone that like people in our I guess our like web circle know and applaud so like that's something good going for it but I on a personal level um I don't always necessarily relate to sports stories I know we've talked about that before but it's more that um I I think I've told you this but I don't think I've told like our podcast audience this but I don't I'm going to keep it as TLDR as I can. Um when I was 15 my aunt and uncle we, so we used to have a giant family reunion my mom's like the neighborhood she used to live in was very much like those you know like the latchkey kids like they would all hang out in the neighborhood like every house took care of each other everyone knew each other type of thing so she would have a reunion with her old neighborhood and then all of their kids and all of her side of the family and ended up just being like this massive event it was my aunt and uncle were the last to leave and on the way home after just talking about this great weekend and like thanking my mom for having them out they were in a car accident and my uncle died immediately and my aunt was left with severe brain trauma. And we were not that close. Like I, I I honestly did not know them well at all, but I have in that interim had to watch my mom take care of this woman. They named her the medical power of attorney without telling her. And I, so now it's been 14 years since and somehow this woman is still alive. Yeah. And in the interim, in the years since we've had relatives who have had Alzheimer's who um, have since passed and like just or people with like some signs of dementia or some signs of that kind of like that fallen capacity and for me I tend to avoid those stories because as much as I love horror and violence and gore and people getting the shit kicked out of them and like there are so many things that I can take in a story and sometimes brain injury is just like one that gets to me because yeah. I've seen it I've seen the effect it has on other people yeah so back back in the realms of last year I saw this book on the new indie releases shelf and I was like oh maybe let's just give it a try so and I was just kind of curious and the cover is like really striking um I was just the pink and the handwriting. And I was just like, okay, I just want to see. So I read the first two pages and was like, well, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this now. It didn't even, I didn't even finish. Like, I'm I locked I, in. Yeah. I think I got to the end where it was like the line, the dog was his. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this book is mine now. So I got the audiobook of it. I was listening to it while I was at work, which was a terrible idea because I was like in spreadsheets, just like getting more and more and more depressed, but also just like, man, this book is so good because it like <laughs> balances the tension and it balances like the noir aspects of it with the discussions about race and with the discussions about family and with the discussions about C- uh, CTE. Mm-hmm. and when you get those last three lines it's now been almost a year since I read that book and I still think about those lines and it's like oh man like it's so just so that, good that was the scene that hooked me to the the, the dog was his and mm-hmm. I, I kind of had a similar thing as I've uh as I was reading it uh it was a similar thing to both my my grandfather and my my uncle who mm-hmm. uh, passed away. My grandfather passed away in 20, 2016 uh, and he had he had Parkinson's, but he I don't know whether he had like some sort of secondary uh, secondary um, uh, secondary cranial issue as well, but it was you could tell that his identity was slipping and he he would have moments where he would come back into back into himself um and he would speak with my mom who uh she was she was uh his stepdaughter uh technically so like she was um so she wasn't a blood relative but he loved her dearly and she loved him very very much 
Uh, and he would come back into himself and he would tell her, she, and she told me this once she was like, that he would say is like, I thought I was 16. Like, I thought I was 16 again, that I had to get home, you know, to beat curfew or whatnot. And so like, you could tell that he was losing his identity. Um, and he would, he would get more and more agitated, more panicked. Mm -hmm. He would, um, I remember once my, my grandmother was going in for surgery and she had to be away from the nursing home where they lived together. And he was inconsolable that she was gone for that long because he was like, I don't know where she is. I don't know what's going on. And it was like, grandpa, we told you she's at the hospital. Like she'll be fine. She'll be back in a couple of hours. He's like, I want to see my wife, damn it. Um, and that, that image is always what kind of comes back to me as well as my uncle who, well, it wasn't like any sort of, it, that was more like the brain trauma mm -hmm. aspect of it. Cause he was in a car accident when he was like 18, but he was, he was in a wheelchair for, I think, 40 years, 40 years where he couldn't really speak. Um, he, he had trouble like kind of communicating and like his identity had kind of been uh, kind of been changed after after the accident. So like seeing that kind of depiction, as well as just even the like the discussions about race. Yes, I understand. And like that is really spellbinding, but also just the internal combat that Xavier has between himself and the voice in it and the voice in his head which mm -hmm. to like John Virtus credit I've never actually seen this done where like the voice gets its own chapters gets its so own sections of the good. yeah I, that was like the point where I was like okay this is something different than what I'm used to because of the fact that you get this uh you get this growing representation of who Xavier fears he is, which is the more violent, animalistic, brutal uh, human being rather than the side of him where he was, he admits that he was scared as a kid. He was gentle. He was shy. And it's that combat between the two of them, that voice in his head and who Xavier wants to be or thinks he is or who he really is. And that kind of duality really sucked me in. And brought into brought into relief like one of those questions that I see a lot of I see a lot of men struggle with. I don't know in the conversations I've had with women, this hasn't come up as frequently, but a lot of men struggle with the the tension between what you are or who you are and what you do. So people who are in like more violent, uh more violent occupations or like uh occupations where they are forced to deal with a lot of dark and violent subject matter sometimes it's cops sometimes it's doctors things like that um where they struggle with the idea of like these things that should disturb me don't so yeah. does that mean that i'm necessarily that twisted on the inside as opposed to someone who feels a little bit more human or does get disgusted by these things and like that kind of internal discussion and debate was what really really drew me in and on top of that i'll always love a story about like you know combat sports because i'm just fascinated by them you know and it was for me as well that duality it was just so interesting because like you said he is the one who uh the dog right when he does have the dog that dog yeah. does not respond to anybody other than him and it's like that very much like that you sometimes get within animals and it's like a very spiritual connection mm -hmm. um and it's just in the way that he does deeply love his father, despite the many, 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 many problem things with his father. Like there is a deep, deep love there combined with, oh, I'm going to just punch this dude's face off and make him unable to fight. Like, you know, it's a it was a great duality to it. And I think to that end, like I was saying before, even if you don't necessarily like stories about combat sports so you don't like those kinds of stories or there's so much more there there's so much plot there while also having what i consider very important discussions i thought that it was it it talked about it in a way that was honest and it talked about it in a way that was i'm trying to think of like the right way to say it where it's not you're not like shying away from the conversation, but you're not hitting 
you're not adding unnecessary hits to Xavier's head being like, your father was a racist. Your father was racist. Sensitive and subtle. Yeah, I, I got that. I got that sense, too. And particularly, it was, the other thing about it was like the way it was paced. Mm-hmm. made that so much more enjoyable to read um the the, the subject matter was not enjoyable by any stretch of oh, the no. imagination ha- no. having having the understanding of like your father who raised you um really despises every person that's like you except for you um and even will hate you given a lack of memory it's not a pleasant subject but the way that it's the way that it's shown and the way that Xavier has that realization slowly, and not even also about him, but also like kind of about um, his cousin shot, uh, mm-hmm. the understanding of like that relationship isn't what he thought. Um, or maybe maybe it is what he thought and he doesn't remember it correctly anymore. Even that idea of, excuse me, uh, even the idea of not being able to understand what is the truth and what is not as the trauma begins to develop more and more and more and then willingly submitting yourself to the risk of even more because shot sorry not shot actually no shot knows uh shot knows that xavier is struggling with some sort of mental degradation as a result of his fighting career and xavier is very very much aware of this but xavier is still willing to go into uh the title uh, sorry, not the title shot, but the uh, the uh, pro level fight, mm-hmm. knowing that this could result in more damage to his brain, and shot is willing to let him possibly risk that damage as well to get out from the hole he's in himself. So it's it's that like the understanding of like. I thought that we were family. I thought we looked out for each other. And then the under, and then you come to the realization of like, no, it's kind of every man for himself, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I so. did really appreciate as well. And this is going to get a little bit into spoiler territory. I appreciated the duality between Xavier and Shot's relationship because you had resentment from Shot towards Xavier for putting his gym's reputation at risk for the way that Sam Wallace, Xavier's father, treated Shot growing up for Xavier pummeling the, that kid and making him unable to fight and make Shot money, right? Versus Shot wanting to, on some level, take care of him, making sure he's going to make the weight, making sure that he is training and he's okay, making sure that at the end, he is safe. He takes the fall for Xavier. Um, on the other hand, you have Xavier who feels like he is very much indebted to his cousin, but is also like, you put me in a shitty position. You're putting my life at risk. You're putting my health at risk. You're putting my mental whatever. Like You're putting all of this stuff at risk for you while constantly reminding me that I owe you when you knew this was happening to my head and you knew that this was unsafe for me to be participating and you put me in my, and it's not, I'm not trying to stop Xavier's blame because it is his fault that at the very beginning of the book, he beats a kid within a half inch of his life. Mm-hmm. But he was also in a position with this kid who was like tormenting him. And you do have this voice, this growing, the mental, the C, uh, the CTE kind of growing and making his inhibitions go away. And I think the that kind of give and take of we're both at fault, we're both angry, but we're both trying to help the people that we love. And we both know that we owe these people a debt. And it that kind of, I don't know, I just really enjoyed the balance there versus just one person is an asshole and is just continually an asshole. They're both kind of assholes. Yeah, they both they both have a very very unique set of flaws about them and i think mm-hmm. the the one that always strikes me about the relationship between uh xavier and shot particularly with regards to um xavier's xavier's willingness to fight even though he understands that he's gonna possibly get hurt it comes out when uh they talk about like the medical examination before the fight where this was like the cte was or like the risk of some sort of mental defects showing up before the fight and possibly disqualifying Xavier 
he knows shot knows, but he's also exceptionally, exceptionally worried because of the fact that it's like, yeah, he understands that he owes shot, but then also that he wants this, he wants this chance to get back in the show, to get yeah. back into this, the pro level MMA ring, which is just, it, it again goes back into that, that challenge between like his identity, his ego, his ability to actually succeed well, the understanding of like, this is going to cost me and it may cost me everything, but I'm willing to go for it anyway, out, whether it's out of duty or whether it's out of pride or whether it's out of just plain old desire. There's this constant rhythm of Xavier uh, overcoming the, not lazier, but the the more reticent parts of his nature. Where yeah. it's even, even like there's there's even like this long discussion of like Xavier hates road work. He hates running the miles prior to like to increase his cardiovascular endurance in order to like be better during the fight. He hated it growing up. He still hates it, but he has this. Um, he's grown some this, discipline towards it. Yeah, it, it, he's grown some discipline towards it, but he also like goes back and like remembers exactly like how that developed, where it was his father who gave him all these different pieces of advice. Or just like how he overcame that unwillingness to do it. But it's this constant reverberation. Like he knows that by doing these things, he is putting himself in danger and he does them anyway. Yeah. Uh, which is um, poignant to me. Uh, and I think speaks a lot about the way that uh, Virtue writes in that you understand that this is a character who doesn't necessarily want to do the things he does, but he does them anyway because he thinks this is the only way or this is what he's supposed to do or this is what he uh, thinks is the the best way of doing it. And so normally when you... I think sometimes when you find characters like that where like they know that they shouldn't be doing something, but they do it anyway, you start to lose sympathy for them because it's like, oh, you're just acting like an idiot. But in this case, you find yourself growing more and more sympathetic and more and more wanting Xavier to to keep doing these things even though you know in a sense that he's gonna get hurt the desperation of him saying repeatedly this is all I have in my life my father's yeah. dying I don't have a relationship with my mother I've got a somewhat shaky relationship with my cousin and I have fighting and that is the only constant thing and now that is going to be taken away from me because I am not well and I have one last chance to do this. And it just, it just permeates. Like, at least for me, I was right there with him being like, nah, man, you get back up, get back up. You can, you go punch the things. Like, it's, I was at the end, I was like, I wanted him to succeed. I really did. And then when, and we'll talk about the ending in a second, but like when you got to that point, I was torn because I was like, the smart thing would have been to not do this during the fight, but also proud of you. Like, I don't know. There was like that weird give and take there of like shit. God yeah. damn it. But to that point, there is no one else saying, Hey man, maybe don't like, maybe this is it. like shot isn't was sort of, on his side of like maybe you don't do this maybe you do and was like giving him a chance to like teach kids rather than get his head hit repeatedly but it was also with the unspoken un understanding of like you owe me like you fucked me over a year ago when you got suspended you put my gym at risk now you've got to pay me back um the guy he does the jujitsu with when he throws up on the mat it's just like you okay yeah cool yeah it's fine there's no like the i don't think they actually said or maybe they did like with the mma there isn't like a scanner there's no testing to make sure that someone is like mentally okay for that kind of thing and also yeah. the trauma that he puts in the like physical trauma that he puts himself through to get to the weight was mm -hmm. also very like i really appreciated that description because it is so horrible and it was, I've never like had to think about that. Right. And it was, that was a really interesting view into that world, but it's not until he gets to his mom that anyone's like, Hey man, you know, you, you have, you don't have to. So 
so I'll, I'll be I'll be completely honest is that like a lot of my experience with a lot of this is in the amateur sort of like circuit but when someone says they want to fight and they are like full bore on this if they if they are going to do it they are going to do it and a lot of the coaches a lot of people are still willing to say like some of them may be like if you are injured you can draw out of the fight like there's no penalty for this but there are a lot of other folks where it's just kind of like all right you said you're gonna do this you're gonna do this and on the cutting weight stuff when i was wrestling in high school like that was common it was bad sometimes where like people would wear like they would wear like those sauna suits that uh Furcher described or like xavier was wearing when he was doing the flow rolling for jiu-jitsu um like that would happen where you would just drop tons and tons of weight uh there was actually uh back in oh it was the early 2000s uh spike tv had a show called the ultimate fighter which was about mma ufc fighters mm -hmm. and they were all it was a reality show where there would be a fight at the end of every single episode where like fighters are going against each other and whoever wins whoever wins stays and whoever loses goes home um but there was a guy who cut 17 pounds in 24 hours by wearing one of those sauna suits and like a full set of sweats. And he was riding a bike inside of a sauna, like a 105 degree sauna. And he shed 17 pounds of water weight in 24 hours. That is it's, not healthy. It's not, but people do it. Yeah. And it's, it, that's the part of it that again is kind of, that's the part that I was like, I was really kind of sympathizing with where it's like, you're going to be pushed to do this, whether you sometimes like it or not, because there are going to be times where you're going to want to quit. And the other thing about it is that, and I think they discuss this actually in the, um, the Will Smith movie concussion, which was about the NFL uh, CTE yeah. discoveries where you had guys like junior say um committing suicide. But uh, the doctor kind of uh, the doctor that Will Smith plays actually kind of describes this where it says like, this like CTE does not show up on a CT scan. There is no diagnosis before death. It's not a matter of MMA doesn't have this. It's a matter of there is no mechanism by which CTE is detectable mm -hmm. to the medical realm, or at least it wasn't at the start, which again is the understanding of like, they can hide this. They can say like they can, people can tell something's off, but it's like, you can try to hide this. And I remember like, even, even like some of the sports that I used to do, like when I had concussions, I wanted to hide it. I was like, I don't care if I'm going to possibly get hurt. What do I care about brain damage? I want to keep competing. Um, and in this instance, it's a similar thing of like, he wants to keep doing because, yeah, it's partially that he feels this is the only way that he can provide for himself or pay back his cousin or whatnot. But you, he still has this drive of wanting to do it, even though he knows he's going to get hurt. Mm. And yeah, it's the the understanding like the other part of it is that like sometimes you're you're gonna have to like in situations like this you're the one that has to say stop no one else is going to tell you to stop unless you say it first yeah i guess is the best way of putting it yeah yeah i think one of the things about that too and you kind of talked about it before which is like the memory of uh his father and running and everything else i appreciated in the story that it wasn't necessarily like it did. You did have memory flashbacks. You did go back and forth in time. And not only did you get to see, at least in my head, it seemed like he was trying to make some moments more lucid and like pre, like it obviously had been getting worse, but also the way that some of those memories are written, it is kind of things are blurring and things are confusing and it's in that way that he would be receiving that information and thinking about that information. And yeah, I think to that end, even when his mom is like, hey, you okay? Like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't register, you know, like, yeah. it's, and then at that point, there's that immediacy of like, no, like, I have to get shot as money. I have to do this. I have to do this. And it just ends badly. <laughs> yeah. And I think also the other thing about it was, um the incident where uh Sam actually bites him in the nursing home during that confrontation at or mm -hmm. uh cuts him in the nursing home uh before he goes to the hospital. The point where he gets pulled aside by the nurse and actually gets treated, there's a point where there's a point where in the conversation I think he says, 
uh, I can't remember exactly how it gets set up, but the nurse says, like, if you keep fighting, you're going to keep getting hurt. He's like, I know, and I kind of want to quit. She's like, quit fighting? He's like, no. Yeah. And it's that sense of, like, he is like he is tired. He wants to give up everything because at this yeah. point, it's like there's just there's so little left in the tank for him yeah. that and the other thing about it is that again we're getting into spoiler territory here but like the scene where he gives up loki like where he gives up the dog oh my god i was i was i don't even like dog stories and i was like <laughs> i'm gonna cry what the hell i i felt i felt that so much because i am a dog person and it's like oh gosh it's just like yeah. well the other like i i that scene did two things for me. One, it was the it was the resignation of I cannot take care of this creature properly. Therefore, it is un it is unfair that I keep him and I will give him to someone who can. Um, even though this dog has never responded to anybody but me, even though I had a very unique bond with this dog, even though at one point, like shortly before he gives him up, he waits for an hour. Like he's just sitting there for hours just waiting for Loki to come out and forgive him. Yeah. But then he still gives him up. It's like that that understanding of like it is unfair that I keep this creature because I cannot uh I cannot take care of him. I cannot actually give him the care and love he needs, so I'm going to give him up. But also it's it's a, a moment resignation and then also resolution because it's the understanding of like I can't take care of Loki and train for this fight at the same time because there is no way I'm going to be able to give him enough time. Yeah. So that... or just like remember who he is. Exactly. Right? And, and I, I for yeah. me it was giving him up was very was heartbreaking. I understood what was happening, but it was when she said don't see him again. Do not yeah. come back and visit Loki again. You yeah. and the fact that he couldn't explain why. And she's like begging him for an explanation almost and he's like i cannot tell you and i think that also goes to like i i'm assuming that he didn't mean for it to be this deep of a of a moment but for me it just like it spoke so much about like all these conversations we're hearing about men's mental health and all of these conversations we're hearing about like the causes of toxic masculinity and everything else and just the inability to ask for help and say i cannot take care of this dog because i am not okay and it is easier for me to give him up than ask for help or to tell you the truth. I'd rather you think I am a terrible person than for you to view me as weak. Yep. Yep. That is, and that broke my heart. That is exactly what I was thinking of, too, is that it's there is so much reticence uh, among men to admit any sort of weakness, any sort of failing, faltering. Um, any sort of indication that something is wrong. And it, it got to the point where it's actually like, ironically enough, it was uh, it was UFC that kind of sparked a, an incident. There was, I think this was a couple of years ago, one of the, one of the main event fights. Uh, I cannot remember the fighter's name, but he's a guy from, he's a guy from Liverpool, a guy by the name of Patty. Uh, he's known for having a really bad haircut and he loves to pig out after he wins. <laughs> but, following following a win that he had in the cage which actually led to another incident that i really I, another incident in the book that i really want to discuss uh the after a win in the cage they always have like a post post fight interview and he took the mic from the presenter and said and gave this very impassioned speech for men's mental health and like men actually being willing to admit that they are not okay or that they're vulnerable and he said he said something along the lines and i've heard this so many times and God bless everyone who says this. He said, "I would rather have my mate cry on uh, cry on my shoulder than cry at his funeral." Oh, and, God, yeah. And because I I think actually like the week week or two before he had actually gone to a good friend of his funeral who had committed suicide, and so it's like moments like that really drive it home. But like that scene where he gives up Loki is the just like and it a crystallization mm -hmm. of so many things where you you give up something you love because you know you can't take care of them but at the exact same time you can't admit why uh and it's heartbreaking 
there was a um did you ever see the musical or read the play of spring awakening i uh have not seen the play or read the me i've not read the play or seen the musical <laughs> but i know the plot right so one of the characters in the musical and they they do actually this is one of my favorite translations of play to musical and it's one of the boys is afraid with his grades that his parents are going to like freak out and he basically uh he writes a letter to his friend's mother asking for help and she says you're going to be okay it's going to be fine i am concerned that in your letter you made references to killing yourself i mean it's not in that language like this is set in 1900s germany but like uh it's very much like i am concerned please you don't have to do this you don't have to whatever and this the character freaks out about being denied help basically he's like basically he said in the letter like if you don't help me i'm going to kill myself and she's like i can't help you you're going to be okay please don't kill yourself shockingly he kills himself and then one of the most beautiful songs in the musical is at the funeral and the way that the and directors have had a different way of playing off how the parents respond to it but it's kind of all of these friends watching this guy that they interacted with day in day out knowing that he was in pain and like that kind of anyway that i understand that that's a musical and not quite the same but that's the that's the same energy <laughs> like what yeah. two clips give off the same energy it's <laughs> yeah it's it that's, again that's one of the reasons why i i do really love this book is that it it gives a representation in an unexpected way and from an unexpected angle i guess mm -hmm. uh to the problem of of men's mental health and i i yeah, I'll, I'll put the plug in here. It's like, you know what, if, if any guys are actually like struggling or if they have any sort of mental health issues, please talk to somebody because it, whether it's a matter of you're struggling with suicidal ideation or you're just struggling with identity issues or whatnot, it will always be a little bit better to talk to somebody, even if it makes you feel weak, even if it makes you feel vulnerable, but just admitting it will help you get a little bit better from it. And I guarantee you that if you are hurting there very often are people who will care and will listen. Um, all right. Off my soapbox. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, no, the, yeah. yeah. Go on. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I'm definitely going to put some resources in the show notes. Not that I, if they're of any help to anybody, just because we're having this conversation, I'm going to put some stuff in the show notes just to cover all the basis of, but also, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, talking about, should we talk about the ending? <laughs> uh, sure. You want to go for it? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Spoiler material. Spoiler alert. Um, and I actually, I as I said, I was kind of in two minds about this. So basically, Xavier beats the shit out of a kid who's supposed to be in a fixed fight. Xavier is then put up as the fighter for the fixed fight. He then trains sweats his ass off is delirious at the weigh-in beats tries to beat the guy uh pre-fight because he says something about his family i think i don't entirely remember but there's there's some words exchanged and it goes very badly his mom comes into the hotel room and they've just finally like reunited and his mom is like get out do this lose the fight get out because the whole thing is like he has to lose the fight so that the gangsters that shot is in debt to get paid um and the uh the cte voice takes over during the fight and he he wins <laughs> but what does he win um he wins a bag of cash a gun and a burner phone with literally no memory and shots like get the fuck out of town because they're gonna come and kill you and then you just get this flash forward to many years later, to like a year later, literally a year after the fact. And he has like a notes on his phone, notes up on his phone that says like three specific things, which is like, don't call anybody. Um, and like, this is where you work. This is your name. And 
is still fighting, still getting injured, but it's like low key, like underground kind of circuit. He's working at a diner and it go and it ends and he knows that shots he sees in the news that shot was killed a while back and he gets home from work one day and he puts the gun in his mouth and that's how it ends is that he kills himself and i was thinking wow i'm surprised it took him a year but like that whole ending was just so fucking sad because he just got his mom back he was like on kind of good terms he was like able to fight in professionally again and then it's all it's all gone all of it's gone and he can't even tell the work what killed me was that he couldn't tell his mom that he was safe he couldn't talk to his mom and his mom does not know that he's dead yep that's sometimes how it happens so fuck you virtue for doing that to me but also <laughs> you're great you did an excellent job but you also destroyed me please don't do that again yeah you're great uh, amazing write more but also fuck you and the horse you rode it on <laughs> yeah um yeah it's oh gosh that's hard that's just oh, oh. yeah i i want to think of something pithy to say but i really can't that's no, just there's a reason it, why that ending has stuck with me for a year like that man those last couple of lines were just so 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 heartbreaking good. Yeah. yeah but like i was trying to think about this when i first like i i let myself sit with it and then i was trying to think about this again and again and again i genuinely don't think there's any other way that that story could have ended no no i mean even the thing of it is is that like the way that he's been it's like the way that Xavier got set up, like you almost in I, I immediately see it, saw him as a tragic character. It's like mm-hmm. this is an individual where he has attempted to find ways out. He's attempted to like see like is there something else I could do? Um, but keeps coming back to the realization just with everything that's stacked up against him. It's like my only option is to fight. Yeah. My only option is to keep going through this, which means that. Which means that ultimately, there's no other way it could end, because there's no there's no happy ending for like yeah. for for a lot of it, it's sad to say, but for like a lot of prominent fighters, like very rarely do you, very rarely is there a happy ending. It's very often you have folks that will end up in prison. You have folks that die under suspicious circumstances. You have folks that um, just end up rocked by some sort of brain injury or whatnot like even even muhammad ali um had parkinson's and a lot of the things that i had heard was that his parkinson's was exacerbated by how many hits he had taken in the ring yeah exactly exactly yeah it's like it's odd like i i'm sure there are a lot of people who if you had asked them in the early 2000s or like late 90s do you think mike tyson would hit the age of like almost 60 a lot of them probably would have said no yeah there's um, only one mike tyson tiger thing and also he also has been like it's not just that his career is not just fighting which i think is a yeah. big part of it is that he's been like also kudos to mike tyson he was like a guest star in law and order svu yeah like, he's 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 done a lot for like branching out his uh yeah. his brand his brand but he's still he's still got it i saw i actually saw a a clip recently where he uh he was training another he was training another fighter and that fighter was like working the pads and then all of a sudden mike tyson to demonstrate something like gets in front of the guy who's holding the pads the guy holding the pads his face almost goes white like <laughs> black guy his face almost goes white just being like i do not want to get hit by this man because um but it's but it's it really is like kind of a sad thing where it's like we talk about like the the summary talks about like athletes willing to entertain um and like what they go through it's like this is part of it um you know what i really enjoyed about it too was that there wasn't glamour at no point, even when he's winning, oh, even no. when there's like the media and the check-in, none of this book talk like spoke about it in a way that he felt glamorous. It yeah. was a this got me out of a troubled spot when I was in school. This kept me like this gave me a career. This gave me purpose. But there's no like 
fame, adulation. There's none of that energy to it. It's just, it's a desperate, this is the only thing I have going for me. And even at the end, when he wins, there's nothing. It's running. It's immediately running. So, yeah. And that's actually one of the things, like a good story that I would almost kind of compare this to, but with the difference of the ending is um, did you ever see the film Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe? No. So it was a movie about the boxer uh, Jim Braddock uh, mm-hmm. during the Great Depression. He was this. He had been an up and comer, and then I think he, I think he either got hurt or he got he got dropped from like the the higher ranks because he was getting up there in age. He was he was older. He was he was developing arthritis, uh, and he ended up getting cut from the boxing ranks and ended up working as a day laborer, and then through some fluke managed to get a fight and just managed to like kind of put himself back in the running and legitimately the comparison is here is that Braddock Braddock had to almost like get to the heavyweight championship and actually win the heavyweight championship in order to get his family to survive. But it was this, it was never glamorous. Like the movie never portrayed in a glamorous way. It was genuinely just like this man is doing the thing he knows how to do best in order to help his family survive when appear in a period where like a lot of other people are dying. Um, And that is kind of like the comparison that I, that I saw where it's like that, that lack of glamor because in the, in the day, I think uh, yeah, Braddock was working as like a dock worker where you get selected at the start of the day and every day is different. You can get picked one day and not picked another. And then it's like, congratulations, your family doesn't eat today. Um, But that lack of any sort of shine or sheen or uh, this looks pretty. It's like, there's no, there's no Rocky three moment. There's no moment where it's like you're in front of the press and you're enjoying your life. It's always like blood, sweat, tears guts and whatever you know viscera you can think of in order to get through each fight each day each circumstance and yeah that kind of leads that kind of like the desperation angle actually actually makes me think about this one but it's like there's a scene about midway through it's like just after xavier had um xavier had gotten the call that he was getting back into the show and he had to start training again. It's just after he falls asleep in the cage where mm-hmm. he was training, where he speaks to Clay. He's speaking through the chain link fence. And I thought that was such an apt representation where it's like there is because the voice that had spoken just before in the scene just before was the CTE voice, yeah, which is talking about the more animalistic side of it. And like that picture of Xavier speaking to Clay through the cage is all right that's like that's almost a sign of like xavier is more comfortable inside of the cage where like some animals kind of feel that way yeah and that just that shook me a little bit (laughs) i think that there is a uh i mean that's come up in stories before where it's like there is safety in knowing like the you have a perimeter around you does that make sense like you you know where the walls are and like you yeah. know what happens in that space and there's visual cues there's auditory cues there's you know what that is so that to me made total sense and oh, i it thought it's it, really good yeah it, it made total sense to me too but again it's like the image of it is what kind of yeah. shook me where it's like I, I still have like that comparison of like oh yeah no it's depressing it's, a de- oh, it's yeah. depressing it's, that it, makes sense for sure yeah. it's it's like very rarely very rarely was there a moment of comic relief in this book it's like it's in the best way I can think of it in the same way that I saw an introduction to the biblical book of Lamentations. One does not read the book of Lamentations. One is assaulted by it. Um, and in a similar way, that is kind of how this book is, where it is it is beautifully written. It is fantastically paced. The characters are not uh, – the characters are stark and – wonderfully described not wonderfully described but very well described but at the exact same time it's like buckle up because this is going to dark places and it's not coming out until the end i 
we've like on these previous book club episodes we've read reviews normally they're when we like don't like a story as much and we find reviews that more eloquently say our frustration but there were a couple of one-star reviews for this book on goodreads that kind of talk about what you were just saying so just really quickly horrible cop-out ending lazy so lazy it wasn't even sad just infuriating there are ways to do a sad ending well to have some redemption in the midst of death to make you feel that your time spent with a character was worth it even if they utterly fail and none of those happened here i have a b oh this sorry this part was really funny to me i have a ba in creative writing i've been to a lot of workshops i know what an mfa program is all about but is this really what it taught him this is the fruit no thanks and then someone else said 42 pages was more than enough for me relentless violence and ugly world i didn't want to spend any time in it was just so it was the mfa comment of being like this is what they taught him and then the like this is an ugly world and it's like okay you know you didn't have to read it like you you, you if you didn't like the violence you could have maybe not picked a book about mfa fight, mfa fighting with brain injury and racist uh, parents but you know okay that works too <laughs> i just i just want to know it's like why the hell do you think your degree entitles you to you know any sort of legitimate criticism I, like i had a, I had a friend I know what they taught me in every single creative writing program so therefore as, i know this ending is awful as a as a friend of mine once said i was just kind of like don't you have a master's degree he said yeah i spent a hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean i'm necessarily any smarter for it um yeah yeah so Listen, I know we've like, I, we have no legs to stand on, right? Like I've talked about books that I've hated with you. You've talked about books that you've hated with me. Yeah. Here's the, here's the thing about that though, is that it's like, there are, there are books I have read that I wouldn't read again, but would I ever say that they were lazy and not worth my time? No, because in every single instance, I figured out something I could either do better or I could learn from or something I wouldn't want to do again, or I try to draw something that like has some redeemable quality to it. The reason I hate a lot of one-star reviews is that it's not that they're not actually trying to provide any substantive feedback. They just didn't like the book and they want to bitch about it. Hey, if I'm, I bitch about books a lot. I just don't yeah. bitch about them online. I bitch about yeah. them to my reader friends who will also have books to bitch about to me, but we don't, I do not feel the need to put my vitriol online to mm -hmm. ruin another writer's day. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I mean, like, you know, as much as I've, like, dissed on the Red Sparrow trilogy, I've never, I never gave Jason Matthews a one-star review. Oh. I, I was just kind of like, listen, I, like, I will tell people I didn't care for this book series. If you do, that's your prerogative. Um, It's just not my jam, particularly because of the fact that the character is named Nate Nash, and he's a fucking idiot. Um... But <laughs> like uh, I I don't see myself recommending some books to people, but like there are books that on the show I've been like, hey, this wasn't my cup of tea, but this sounds like it'll be perfect for you. And yeah. I, I I don't know. I I feel like especially now that especially now that I have my own book on Goodreads and stuff, I don't want to leave a negative review on another writer. Some books are written for certain audiences, and I may not be part of that audience. Well, that's a good or a bad thing. It's like, you know what? I I probably wouldn't also understand, you know, the, the Turner Diaries, but I'm totally cool with not considering what that discusses. It's like someone comes on here and listens to one of our book club episodes. They more often than not probably know what they're getting, but... Yeah. Just some random passerby on an Amazon page sees, like, from M.B. Turner, this is absolute garbage. Who the hell would ever publish this? They're not expecting that. They have no idea why I would ever say that, and I can't. Yeah, and then it just comes off the as it comes off as negative, where I think what we really do try to do with the show and every and like the and the authors that we interview and everything else is just like amplify writers amplify indie voices and just be like there are some good things coming out that probably are not on your nyt bestsellers list expand your palette a little bit and go check out this violent dark nonsense that's going to break your heart when someone abandons a dog like go read that shit right yeah, yeah i talk about like we want to talk about the things that are actually you know that, because again i think i think when we originally started this like the whole idea of it was that 
in dark literature, they talk about things that are very important, but may not often get discussed on like the New York Times bestseller, or at least get discussed in a different way. And this book very much talks about all the things we wanted to discuss yeah. or that we we really brought out. It was like because we started the podcast in 2020. I mean, the like George Floyd had happened that year. How much else had like talked about like different issues of mental health and issues of race and issues of toxic masculinity. Like how many things had been going on during that time frame that we that were topics that really didn't get touched on elsewhere. And yeah. this is talking about them in a very beautiful for lack of a better term like disgustingly beautiful um way and also is doing incredibly well i think this may be the first book that we've talked about in the book club that was also featured on an episode of fresh air on npr like i think i think terry gross interviewed him yeah Um, i just i know like especially and i know other people have too right it's like especially we grew up in the midwest which has its own depending on where you are i mean outside of chicago right it's very different place uh but we've also lived in bigger cities we've traveled abroad we've done all these things and i think a part of that is knowing that you have to educate yourself about certain issues based on your own life experience and i think both you and i have tried to do a decent job of that again in our white privileged point of view yes i have tried to educate myself have i done a perfect job of it probably not absolutely not absolutely absolutely not there's always room to improve and i'm very well aware of that um but what i think is really important with books like this and why another reason why i really wanted to talk about this book and amplify it was that it does have those conversations in a way that an average person could pick up this book and not feel overwhelmed, not feel like they're being lectured at because it's not just that you're talking about the racism between Xavier's parents. It is Xavier coming to see like this man that he loves and respects so much is not perfect. And it's, it's the mirroring of his father's dementia with his CTE. It's the, I'm like you in so many ways. And I am also, terrified to be who you are and it's so many parallels that work and it's just the fear and the love and the give and take there is representative of so much more and i think that it presents it in such a beautiful way that someone can go into that book and if they want to get that messaging they can if they came for that messaging they will get it if they came in looking for a minute mma story they're not going to put the book down and be like liberal propaganda, right? Mm-hmm. Or I maybe mean, they might. I don't. I don't know. But they're branding everything these days, so like they probably will. But it's yeah, it's not the same. Yeah, and and that's kind of the the same thing I got from it, where it the desperation came through, and I will always, I will always want to follow the the story that follows the development of a person. Mm-hmm. more than I will want to follow a series of subtle lectures that are told through the eyes of any particular character at any particular time. Even even books that like have sections that sound almost like a lecture on history when they're presented through the eyes of a character who's trying to understand something, uh, then it becomes much, much more fascinating because you're seeing the reflection of both what you're getting out of how the story is written as well as what the character who is getting the lecture or giving the lecture is understanding about the subject matter. And when we can see that in, uh, after the lights go out, then it's, it just stays with you, I guess is the best way of putting it. And it, it rocks you and you, start to question a lot of things about yourself and you begin to wonder how would I react in the situation, which I, I feel like is very often the mission of fiction. It's it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes and getting yourself a concentrated dose of empathy and wondering how would I be in the situation? Yeah. What would I do? Would I react the same way as Xavier? I probably wouldn't. But yeah. that's the reason that's the reason why I'm not in that situation. But it's um, also that what we've talked about before as well and we'll probably continue to talk about because it's so important is being willing to be uncomfortable. And I think that 
at least in my opinion, my five-star opinion, um, <laughs> I think it did do a pretty good job of like kind of letting you sink in and taking you down to a place where you could be uncomfortable without overwhelming you from page one. Yeah, very much so. It grabs you from page four, but yeah. it it definitely does not overwhelm you. Um, yeah. I will say this, it took me a long time to read this because it was heavy and it brought up a yeah. lot. Um, there is but... no, there's not levity. It's not like balanced with levity. It's balanced by other sad conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad about my relationship with my father and seeing my brain injury with my father. Let me go deal with my relationship with my cousin. Let me deal with the dog. Let me deal with training and making weight. Let me deal with trying to reconcile with my mother. Oh, wait, no, I'm sad about my dad again. Like it just, it bounces from sad you conversation to sad conversation. You know what it also reminds me of? And this is like just, this could start a whole other conversation, but we'll wrap it up shortly. Is that it reminds me also of um, a description of uh, a Mickey Rourke film called The Wrestler, mm-hmm. where uh, he plays an aging professional wrestler, but he also has a uh, a romantic relationship with uh, Marissa Tomei's character, who's a stripper. And it's more of that, it's that continual discussion of like, these are both people who have made a living in a sense off their bodies and now their bodies are aging and kind of betraying them. And like, what does that mean for their identity, for who they are? And this kind of gives a similar sense of like, this is a person who has had an identity uh, and now that identity is in a sense betraying him. And how does he react? What does he do? How does he uh, push forward and uh, develop or ultimately meet a tragic end and i think that is definitely a conversation that needs to be had because i am while i enjoy a lot of sports that have a lot of violence in them i also think it's very very sad when someone has to give up their body their mind for other people's entertainment and for a paycheck without any sort of expectation that they may get some sort of help elsewhere i Um, think that it's also just like things like this and in the description right where they're saying like the cost of entertaining right it does kind of open the door to those discussions of and we've had those conversations i mean we should be having more of them but like with the nfl and with concussion everything else of if you have to pick between people's lives and your entertainment what is more important And I think as a society, we have continually said our entertainment is more important. And it's interesting to see it. And I love to see it, not because I have an answer to how would this look like if we were taking mental health and like CR and all this other stuff into account, because I don't, I do not have an answer for what wrestling could look like if you protected heads. Like, I don't know what that is, but um (laughs) It's a way of looking past Creed, past Rocky, past um, all of the football movies that are way too many to name, right? And you're looking at it as this is a gritty, horrible thing that people do out of desperate love. Mm -hmm. And does that have to be the case? When you take the shine off of it, and and just look at it for what it is and what the real impact is on these on the people participating it lets you have those conversations in a different way yes very very much so and it's yeah i guess i guess that's the best way of putting it is that like it, it enables the conversations to happen and in the old days back when sometimes you didn't get paid a lot of money there would be some very grievous, some very grievous injuries uh, that would be visible, that would be public. Uh, but now, because there's all the shine and all the glamour, I think sometimes we get very much removed from that idea of like, no, like someone breaks an arm in the cage, there that arm's broken, and it's and they are. It's going to take time to heal, which means that they lose money, they lose training time, they lose a chance to fight again. And if something worse happens, like that's even more like people get knees blown out, which means like sometimes they're never fighting again. So now what do they do for a career? That's a conversation we 
we very rarely have. And again, I don't have an answer either, but at least being aware of the human cost for something that is a very, uh, that is sometimes a very entertaining Saturday night um, can make you think otherwise about it. I'm glad that everything else in this book aside, right? Every other convert, every other important conversation, every other thing that we liked, the fact that it, to me, opened my mind and it opened my perspective up to this different viewpoint about this sport and gave me new information about this. I That's why I really love fiction and I love reading different authors and different stories. And I'm glad that I did pick, pick this book up in the bookstore and got over my initial hesitation. I'm very glad I read it. Yeah. And I'm glad that you... Uh... Forced you, you to. <laughs> you didn't force me to. I, I could have said. I encouraged you. You you heavily suggested, but I could have said no. And I actually was really curious about this after you mentioned it anyway. So I'm glad you you mentioned it. But in the meantime, to everyone who is listening, please go check out "After the Lights Go Out" by John Vercher. Um, we highly, highly enjoyed it, and I would love to hear anyone else's opinions on it yes i need uh, more people to obsess about this book with me <laughs> and, if, and if by chance john vercher could like enjoy this episode then we're happy uh but in the meantime please uh send us anything that you have if you want to be on the show please email us at darkwaterspodcast at gmail.com please share this podcast with all your friends like comment subscribe on your favorite podcast sharing app and please always remember to look beneath the surface thanks for joining us guys Bye, guys.